in between. This is a series where um, all of us, at different times in our lives, walk through these seasons. It is an in-between season. It's a season where we're waiting on a breakthrough from God. We're waiting on God for a breakthrough in some aspect of our life. And uh, we go through these seasons, all of us do. Uh, the first week in this series, we looked at the season of suffering. And we looked at the story of Job and of his experience of suffering, walking through that suffering, okay, in such a way that he, um, he was able to uh, honor God through it and experience all that God had for him. And we discovered that Job, really what God was doing was teaching him at the deepest level who he was. And so Job got to know God more intimately through that suffering experience. And so uh, in between waiting, a season of waiting and walking through suffering. Last week we looked at um, the season of waiting on a breakthrough in the area of advancement or promotion. And we realized that all of us go through those seasons where we want to go into business for ourselves or uh, maybe it's uh, we want to get to retirement and able to do the things we enjoy doing. Maybe we're uh, waiting on a season where we can get an advancement, move forward in our career. And so we have these seasons. What do we do while we're waiting for a breakthrough in that area? And so we looked at King David and his story. And so I'd encourage you, if you missed those, go back and, and uh, go to our website. You can find them there and, and listen in because uh, trying to encourage us with this series. Because these seasons are tough. When we're waiting on God for something, it's like uh, we're out of control. It's a little bit out of control. We can't make it happen or we would. Sometimes we try to make it happen. We get caught in that trap and, uh, and we have no peace. We have no um, serenity as we wait. And yet God has something for us in these seasons. They're not passive seasons where we just sit and can't do anything, but they're actually seasons where God's trying to teach us some really important things. And so, um, and so we've been working through this. Uh, the, the word breakthrough is a word that comes out of the military encounters. It comes out of military and out of wartime. And that's where this word comes from. Breakthrough is the idea of breaking through the enemy line and gaining a victory. And so I want to encourage you as, a, as your pastor that I believe that though you're in a season of waiting, you're in a season where things aren't happening the way you need them to, you're waiting on God to do something, that I believe by faith, because I know the scriptures, I don't know your individual story, all of you, but I believe that God is working and the breakthrough is coming. I've seen this happen in my life and the lives of people that I've worked with over the years and known. And I just know it's how God works. He's intimately aware of your life. He's not disconnected from you. He's not unaware of your situation. He hears your prayers. He knows what you're going through. Though it may be difficult, you may feel at times as though uh, you're in a desert and you can't feel or hear from God and you're not sure that he's really there. Can I just say to you this morning that he is. He's not left. He's not ignoring you. He's not unaware. But what I want to do is point you to what the scriptures teach as to what the purpose is. What are you supposed to do? What can you do in that season so that you can grow? And so this morning, we're uh, going to look at, um, at a season of waiting, an in-between season that is especially close to the heart. This, uh, this particular topic this particular season of waiting, and, and uh, it's a difficult one, can evoke some intense emotion in us because it's connected so deeply to who we are. And this is that, um, that season where we're waiting for somebody that we love to come back to God 
or to find God for the first time. And I know that this, uh, it's, a, it's a touchy one. It's tough because uh, it's so hard. It can be so painful and difficult to walk through that season. And so I just want to look at, at some scripture, look at a story that Jesus told in the Bible of, uh, of a son who walked away. And I want us to reconnect to God's heart and to remember what God's doing and hopefully to encourage all of us with, um, with uh, getting through this season. And so if I could, I'd like to pray for us as we get started. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be here together. Father, I pray that you would um, speak through your inspired word. Thank you for the scriptures that you have protected, that you have passed down to us accurately in a way that we can trust that this is your word and these are the words that you want us to have and to hear. And Father, I pray you'd speak through your word to us this morning, that we would hear from you, we would hear from your heart. Father, we need uh, encouragement in this area. And so, Father, please speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus came to earth, and God took on a human body. Uh, Jesus, we're taught in the scriptures, was, is God. And he was uh, with the Father um, for all eternity, right? And so we have what um, we refer to as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the Son, and so the Bible teaches us that Jesus existed for forever. He had no beginning. He'll have no end. And yet, because of his role and the, the, the role that God the Father had for him was that he would come to earth and take on human form. And so he became the only begotten son of God when the Holy Spirit put him through a, a work of God, through the, an act of a miracle, put him into Mary, Mary's womb. And so Jesus was born a baby, though we know he was 100% God and 100% man, the God-man. And so Jesus comes to earth and he grows up a child. He grows through the, the ages of development. Um, he's a son. He's a brother. Uh, he gets to experience this human life. And then when he turns about age 30, he enters into public ministry. And he goes through, before that, he goes through a time of testing and temptation. He's, uh, he stands up under that. And he begins to travel the countryside, uh, ministering to people, connecting with the people of Israel. And he presents a message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm the Messiah, the chosen one, the Christ. And so as Jesus travels through the countryside, sharing with the people uh, he interacts with, he performs miracles. He touches them as God would touch them. He was God. This is what he did. He uh, healed the sick. He caused the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. He raised the dead. Jesus did the miraculous things we would expect God to do if he walked the earth, pouring life into the people that he encountered. He loved on these human beings that he interacted with. Why? Because he created them. The scriptures teach us that Jesus was the creator. He's the one that spoke the universe into existence. And so as he interacted with people, his children, his creation, he restored life to them. He forgave their sins. And Jesus uh, performed these things because uh, he walked with us because he's our God and he loves us. As he did these things, he would get uh, criticized and critiqued by the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and others, the religious leaders, they saw Jesus as a false Messiah. He was not 
the person, the Messiah that they were looking for. As they studied the scriptures, as they thought they understood God and his will, they saw Jesus as a threat, as a false leader and a false Messiah. And so they would come against him. They would travel around behind him and question what he was doing. They would say things like this, Jesus, if you were a respectable teacher of the law, if you were really a a, a rabbi, a, a respected leader, religious leader, then you wouldn't hang around the seedy sinners that you do. You wouldn't be with them. Don't you understand that they're the wrong kind of people? They don't love God. They're not following God. There's people like tax collectors. They work for Rome, right? The evil empire, they work for Rome. They take the money from their own people and give it to Rome. They uh, fatten their own pockets, stealing from their own people. These are evil people. Jesus, why are you always around them? Jesus, there's notorious sinners. They're not following the law. They're not good Jewish people. They don't live for God. They're not following God. They're, they're in fact, involved in some of the most wicked behavior. Jesus, you're always around these people. Jesus began to get the reputation. They, they said, Jesus, you're a, a glutton and a drunkard. You're hanging around the wrong people. You're always in the wrong spots. You can't be really from God. God wouldn't do that. And so Jesus, on occasion, would defend himself. He'd try to communicate to them. Listen, guys, you're missing the point. You're missing what God cares about here. See, God's heart is for those who are lost. He would say things like, I came uh, to heal the sick, not, not to spend time with people who don't need a doctor. I came to those that need a doctor. Know they need something. Know they need help. And so Jesus argued with the religious leaders. On one occasion, if you want to uh, turn to Luke chapter 15 is where we're going to be at this morning, Jesus told a couple of stories to illustrate his heart for his sheep, for his people. He told a couple of stories. And in these stories, one of the things we find, which I want to point out to you, as you struggle and wrestle with a time of waiting, as you struggle and wrestle with this idea that um, that you have a prodigal in your life, someone that you love. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a father or mother. Maybe it's an aunt or uncle. Maybe it's a brother or sister. Maybe it's uh, someone you went to school with and you're just, you're just longing to see them come to Jesus, come back to Jesus. Um, I want to encourage you this morning. And uh, one of the things I want you to know is that God's heart is for your prodigal. God's heart is for them. More than you could understand, more than you could know. If you love them, and it's deep, and you want to see them come to Jesus, can I tell you that God loves them more? His heart is even uh, deeper for them. His longing for them is even greater than yours. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning. God's heart is for your prodigal. Uh, Jesus told a couple of stories here, three stories. In the first one, he said, listen, let me just illustrate to you God's heart. He told him a story. If a man had a hundred sheep, If a man had a hundred sheep and he's watching these sheep, he's caring for them, they're his livelihood. These sheep become almost a part of the family. Those of you that are in agriculture and you raise livestock, you know how it is. You depend on these animals. That's how you make a living. And so you care for them, you love them. And these sheep, a hundred sheep he had, he said, listen, if one of them came up missing, all of a sudden I I can't find him. I I did my count, did my head count, and I came up with 99. So what would he do? Jesus said he'd do what any shepherd would do. He would take the 99, he'd put them in the pen, make sure they were safe and secure. He would go out, start to search for the one that's lost. And he would search and search and search. It didn't matter how long it took, he would search until he found it. And when he found that sheep, he would grab it up with joy. 
put it over his shoulders and take it back to the flock. And when he got back home, he would call his friends and neighbors and say, come and celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. In verse seven of chapter 15 of of the book of Luke, this is what Jesus says. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, Jesus isn't saying that God doesn't love those that didn't stray away. No, 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 he does. But his heart is for the one that strayed. His heart is for them. They're celebrating in heaven when one returns. Now, maybe you've been the prodigal. Maybe you've been the one that walked away. Maybe you've been the one that was prayed for and that your grandma or your mom or whoever prayed that you'd come to know Jesus and you did and you came back. Maybe you're still on that journey. Maybe you're here this morning trying to figure out, maybe it's the first step. You know, I don't know where you're at. I just know this. I want you to know this. God's heart is for those that have walked away, for those that are strayed, that those haven't yet found him. He loves them deeply. The second story, he goes on to say, suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and she loses one. These are valuable to her. They're her retirement. This is how she's being cared for. And she loses one of these valuable coins. Do you not think she's going to stop? She's going to scour the house, look under every cushion, lift every corner and cranny until she finds it. And when she finds it, she's going to call her friends and say, rejoice with me. I lost a valuable coin and I found it. Verse 10 of Luke 15, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. God's heart is for your prodigal. He loves them. He cares about them. He's going after them. With the sheep, with the lost sheep story, we see the illustration that God isn't passively waiting for somebody to come back to him, but he goes after them. He pursues those that are running away. God's heart is for those who are lost. Verse 11, Jesus tells the next story, the third story, which he spends a little more time on, and it's the one we want to look at this morning. It's a story of a lost son. The story of a child who left, who walked away, who left the family and lived in rebellion and sin. And uh, in this lost son, Jesus tells the story this way, starting in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Listen, a little bit I want you to understand if you've not been taught this story before is that there's a lot going on in this story that is uh, people in Western culture, we're not part of Jewish culture, we may miss. There's really some significant things going on here. One of them is that the culture Jesus was talking to was a patriarchal society. The father was the center of the family, okay? And, and he led the family. And in this case, to disrespect a father in the way that this son does would almost be punishable by death. He comes to his father, and in essence, he says to him, Dad, I wish you were dead. You're not moving on fast enough. I want my share of the inheritance. I want my stuff from you. I do not love you. I do not care about you. I don't want anything to do with you. Just give me, give me what you have and I'm going to leave. Incredibly disrespectful at the highest level. Jesus' audience, listen to this story, would have been just seething at what this young man did. The second aspect of the story is that in this culture, uh, the oldest child would get what was called the birthright. 
And the birthright was a practice of passing on the majority of the family estate, of the family business, to the oldest son so that he could carry on the family name and ensure that the the family line continued. And so they would keep the bulk of the family business or family estate together. And so this younger son coming is not going to get the majority of what the father has. He's going to siphon off part of it. But it's going to hurt the family estate. It's going to hurt the family business. It was meant to be a share that would allow him to start his own family and begin his own life. His father and his father's father and his father's father before him had worked to develop what they had, to build it. And here this younger son is saying, I want to take this and I'm going to go use it to have fun with. I'm going to go use it and blow it. And so again, Jesus' audience would have been disgusted with this young man. There would have been reactions to his behavior, things like this. Uh, He is never coming back into this family. He is ostracized. He's been eliminated. His behavior is so bad. He's um, He's brought shame on his family. He's embarrassed his father and his family name. Uh, he, should be, um, he should be kicked out of the family. And that's the kind of thing that would have happened to a young man like this. Remember this as we go through this story, once again, that God loves your prodigal more than you do. He is working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to win back their heart. As you wait, do not lose heart because God is working. Jesus is setting up a story that's so shocking that its conclusion will blow the minds of his audience. What can we do while we wait? What is it that we can do? Um, We're waiting for this breakthrough. We're praying and we're asking God to move. And to be honest with you, in my own family, uh, we've waited decades for some people, some members of our family to come to Jesus. So this can be a long wait, can be a long haul. And so I want to give you some practical things that you can be doing in the in-between. So that you're trusting God, you're growing in God, your, your faith is still in him, you're not losing heart, you're not getting discouraged because it can be a marathon uh, to, to um, this in-between time. First of all, this is what you can do. The first thing I want to encourage you with is to pray for brokenness no matter the cost. Pray for brokenness no matter the cost. You might say, Pastor, that sounds awfully harsh. That sounds kind of mean. Why would I pray for brokenness in the, in the life of somebody I love? Well, let's look at our story. Luke 15, continuing on in verse 14. The son blows all his money, right, in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him out into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, key key phrase, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. This young man came to his senses. How did he come to his senses? Through pain, through brokenness. Listen, I know that you love the person in your life. Sometimes it's our children who've walked away and we're deeply connected and we want to help them. I had a the, what I did before I came here was I sold commercial lighting. I've told you guys about that. And I worked in Colorado and I traveled outside the city of Denver and I would go into the mountains and try to get um, 
the ski resorts and uh, stopped in at Copper Mountain one time and I met a woman who was the purchaser there and we got to know each other a little bit and found out that she was a believer and, and so we had some really good discussions and she told me at one point, she shared her story that uh, she had a son who had walked away from God and he was, he'd gotten into drugs and addiction and he just went through this cycle. Uh, where he would uh, be addicted, then he would try to get in treatment, try to get a little help, maybe get clean for a little bit, then he'd go back in. And she said, uh, she said, John, I had to get to the point where I recognized that I was hurting the process because I was a mama bear and I'd come in and rescue him. I'd come in and help, try to save him. And instead of helping, what I ended up doing was hurting because I would delay his healing. And so I had to step back and God impressed upon me, just step back and allow the process to work out, allow him to experience some of the pain of his choices. And this was scary because he's putting his life at risk at times. She really feared that he wouldn't make it. I'm not asking, listen, this is a tough thing. And I'm not saying let, let them, you know, destroy themselves. I'm saying walk this line, trust God, talk to God. How do I allow them? Because you've got to allow them to come to the place where they decide to turn around. I heard a pastor one time illustrate it this way. He said, the rebel is, uh, is kind of like this. Um, have you guys seen a high-speed car chase? High-speed car chase. I've been out uh, to L.A., Southern California. Thank the God. Uh, thank God so, so much I don't have to live there. Hey, listen, uh, no offense if you, if you came from there, but you know I'm right. That's why you're here. Okay, listen, but, uh, but here's the truth. Here's the truth. They're, they have these crazy high-speed chases all the time. I mean, there's helicopters in the sky dedicated to this. If you're there and you watch the local news, you'll see one of them. And it's, it's crazy. It's kind of a, you kind of get sucked into watching them. It's, a, it's like, what's going to happen? Well, well, here's the thing. He said, the rebel is like the person driving the car. They believe they're going to get away. They're going to get away. And they believe it. They get in that car and they're racing through traffic down the highway and they think, I'm going to escape. He said, everyone else knows what's really going to happen. That's why they're watching. Because everyone else knows how it's going to end. Because it ends the same way every time. You can count on it. There's no escape. They're not getting away. It's going to end in a crash. Things are going to blow up. Okay? And people want to see it. Listen, the rebel's that person. They're in the car driving. I'm going to get away. And everyone else goes... It's not going to be pretty. Look, it's the truth. Somehow, the devil comes in, whispers in the ear, hey, you can do this. You can get away with it. I just think of what, when the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say? You know, whisper that lion. And somehow, in the heart of the rebel, and this isn't to be critical, um, it's not, I don't mean to make light of it, but it's just the truth. There's deception that goes on there. There's a belief that, that I'm going to get away with it and I'm going to escape. And the truth is that it, it's not going to happen. And so I want to encourage you with this. Real love is tough love. Do not protect them, again, from the consequences. Allow them to experience it. This is part of the process. It's part of loving them enough to let them go through the struggle so that they um, come to the place where they choose to turn around. Second thing you can do as you're waiting is keep planting seeds they are growing. Keep planting seeds. They are growing. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, direct your children on the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. This is not a guarantee, okay? It's not a guarantee. That's not how the Bible works. It is a wisdom principle that when you raise your child in the way they should go, you direct them on the right path, okay? When they're old, it doesn't say how old. <laughs> Just says when they're old, they're going to come back to that path. They're going to stay on it. Okay, it's true. 
It's a true principle. Um, I, uh, in the little church that I pastored in Denver, had a family come in one time and they said, man, we're looking for a church where, that doesn't preach any one religion is right. Because we don't want to push our kids in any one direction. We want them to figure it out for themselves. So you're going to send your kids out to play with snakes, and there's a rattlesnake in there. If they get bit, they're going to get killed, but we want to figure out which one of the rattlesnake is just on their own. We don't want them to, we don't want to push them in a direction. Okay, it's, it's kind of silly, but it's one of those lies that the enemy's whispering into parents' ears in this day and age. And the reasoning always is this. I just don't want them to rebel. just don't want them to hate God. So you're going to let them maybe... Look, you, you, can't, you can't protect them. They, if they're going to rebel, they're probably going to rebel anyway. All right? That's the truth. So why not plant the truth into them, get the truth into their hearts and minds, so that after they rebel, or when they come to the end of their rebellion, they know where to turn. Listen, uh, God's word is powerful. Planting seeds is powerful. Keep planting them. Don't stop. Don't hesitate to plant seeds. Isaiah 55 is also a powerful passage, Isaiah 55, 8 through 11, and it talks about God. He says to the nation of Israel that my thoughts are different than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. I, I think differently. You. He said, when the rain and snow come, uh, they fall on the earth and, and there are seeds in the earth and they grow when they're watered and I control these things. He says, listen, this process of planting and growing, he says in verse 11, it's the same with my word. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. Plant seeds. Plant seeds. They will grow. When you plant seeds, when you plant the seeds of Jesus in the lives of those you love, God grows them. I worked in Atlanta for a little bit. God sent us there to do some mission work, try to get a church started, and went into this community. And it was a little bohemian community in the city called Little Five Points. And there wasn't really any of Jesus there. It was a very pagan area. There was a lot of other stuff, a lot of other options, but not Jesus. So we went to this community, and I started going around trying to figure out where uh, the place would be that God would have me enter this community and start to connect with people. And I walked into this little copy room. I had uh, some newsletters to print, and so I made some copies. I made a connection with a couple guys there. I could tell they were friendly. They were open to a relationship and told them what I was there for. They didn't have any interest in Jesus at all, but they're like, oh, cool, come on in, hang out. And so I started hanging out there. Pretty soon I was helping work there. It was really more like volunteering. <laughs> Didn't ever get paid, but, you know, but I'm there working. I'm a missionary. It's okay. And so I'm serving there, and I worked with a girl named Faya there. She was another employee. I think she did get played some of the time. Faya was a lesbian. She's practicing a homosexual lifestyle. I used to talk to Faya about Jesus. Faya, Jesus loves you, man. God loves you so much. He cares about you. One day she shared with me there was another family in her life that were Christians. They loved Jesus too. They would invite her over. There was some relational connection there. One day I just said, Faya, come on. Come on in. Jesus loves you so much. So good here. The, the hurts in your heart can get healed. God cares about you so much. Now she didn't take that step, but this is what I know. Faya was somebody's prodigal. They were praying for her. You know how I can tell? It's because God kept bringing people into her life. I want to encourage you that I have seen so many times someone who's walking away and someone, sometimes it's me, ends up crossing paths with them, entering their life and talking to them, sharing Jesus with them. Listen, keep 
planting seeds. Here's some ways. I want to give you some tactics, seed planting tactics, okay? Here's, uh, let's see, I'm going to give you five of them. The first one is this. Use everything in your power to influence them towards God. Use everything in your power. Do you know the enemy lies, cheats, and steals? He will do anything to get your prodigal, right? He's trying to pull them in, and he doesn't play fair. I got a, there's a great uh, pastor out of Oklahoma City. He says this saying about their church. He said, we will do anything short of sin to reach people far from God. Can I tell you, when it comes to your prodigal, that is the right attitude and approach. Use everything in your power. Sometimes we worry, oh, I'm going I'm to misstep. I'm going to offend them. I'm going to over. No, 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 hold on. Give it everything you got. When you're fighting for somebody's soul and their heart and their life, they know it. They can see. Oh, yeah, it might offend them. They might get upset with you. But they know in their heart where you're coming from. Use everything that you have. Be, have a confident, winning attitude. Can I remind you guys that the devil's side is the side that has lost? Can I remind you that? He's lost already. Don't get into this mindset that he's going to win and he's got him and there's no way back. No, no, no. We're on the side of the winning team. We're on the side of Jesus, the Savior who died, conquered sin and death. The victory's already been won. Do not believe for a minute that you're on the weaker side. We oftentimes begin to think that. Number two, use every, time, ever, 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 use every opportunity to plant seeds of faith and love. Listen, this happening, it happened with Faya years ago, continues to happen in our culture, is young people are pulled into when they go away to college, they get somewhere and there's a Christian group that says, hey, listen, it's okay to be homosexual. You can be homosexual, live that lifestyle and be a Christian. And they say these things, right? Which is a complete lie not found in Scripture, not in keeping with the Word of God, but they pull them in. It's just like when Satan said to Eve, did God really say that's wrong? Did he really say that? Listen, yeah, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. That hasn't changed. It's a trap that children are getting sucked into. They're falling into it. Listen, they're being uh, recruited because they're wanted and accepted in an arena, and they've got some struggles in their hearts and minds. And this isn't the only one. I'm just using it as an illustration. There are many others that pull people in. But they're, they're, they're wanted, they're recruited in this arena. And listen, we got to plant seeds of love and acceptance, right? And of faith into their lives. Because they're in a spot where whoever loves me, they're drawn in that direction of acceptance. Now listen, you can not accept and still love. You can plant seeds of faith and love in the hearts of those that are walking away. No matter what it is they're caught in. Don't quit doing it. Keep doing it. It's powerful. You're on the side that has real, authentic love on it. The other side is phony. Do not care about uh, your prodigal. They do not care about them. They don't give a rat's behind about what happens to them. It's simply about recruiting to their cause, growing their movement. You are on the side of genuine, authentic love. Do not slow down. Do not stop. Use every opportunity to plant seeds of faith. Tactic three, look for and pray for others who will water those seeds. Look for and pray for others. I heard not long ago, Pastor Scott Mathis, who was pastor here for years, I told a story about one of the families in this church um, early on when he was here. The, the Keener family was a big part of this church. And, and uh, Mrs. Keener had a couple of boys who didn't follow Jesus. But she came to church and she was solid and she was praying for her sons. And she would come up to Pastor Scott and say, Pastor Scott, you need to go out and talk to my boys. They don't know Jesus. And he would say, oh, yes, yes, Miss Keener, sure, I'll do it. He said, she didn't quit. She kept asking. And he said she was real good at putting a guilt trip on. Okay, listen. 
She was persistent because she loved her boys. Eventually, Pastor Scott went out, talked to them. They came to Jesus, okay? One of them is an elder here at this church, Dean Keenan. Listen, God's heart's for them. Look for people. I've, I've gotten calls throughout the years I've been in ministry. I get calls from a mom or grandmother, whatever. Hey, listen, could you reach out to my, my kid? They're in your town. They're in your arena. They're not walking with God. Would you reach out to them? Do you think I can ignore that? Do you think I just sit there and go, I don't have time. I'm too busy. Do you think I'd get anything else done that day until I did something about it? Look, don't, don't give up. Keep finding those people. You might run into people that say, I can't. I don't have time or whatever. Don't stop. Keep looking. Tactic four, never stop praying. The power of your prayers is immeasurable. James 5, 16 says this, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. And this is the key. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. God is working through your prayers. You may be praying for decades. I know, don't stop praying. Tactic five, keep getting them to church. Keep getting them to church. Cash in your chips. Use every card you've got. If it's Easter, Christmas, Mother's Day, your birthday, I don't know what. What's your excuse is? Get them to church. Don't quit trying. I'm going to make a promise to you. If you get them to church on the, those key Sundays when people typically think about it, okay, mom, I'll go to church. Okay, grandma. Eh, you know, They come. Listen, we're going to preach the gospel. They're going to hear the truth. And the Holy Spirit, we're going to pray over the service. We're going to have people praying that God would move. That's what we're going to do on our part. I'll make that commitment to you. Don't quit. Keep trying. Next thing I want to encourage you with here, a couple of things as we end today. One is this. I believe this principle is really, really true because I know who God is. They can run, but they can't hide. Psalm Psalm 139 is a powerful, powerful passage about the work of God and his awareness of each one of us. God knows who you are. He knows who your prodigal is. He's not left them. He's not stopped being aware of them. This is what David said in Psalm 139, starting verse 7. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Listen to this. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even darkness... Even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Can't get away from God. An illustration, some stories came out of the former Soviet Union after it fell in the, in the 90s um, due to the leadership of President Ronald Reagan. And in 1994, there was a story that came out uh, that goes like this. In the 1920s, Stalin ordered a purge of all the Bibles and believers. In Stavropol, this order is, uh, was carried out completely. Thousands of Bibles were taken and believers were sent to the gulags where so many died for being enemies of the state. Last year, a commission team, so this would have been in 1994, over 70 years later, a commission team was sent to Stavropol. Now, this was a mission team. They were going there to reestablish Christianity. The Soviet Union, when it fell, I remember being in college, in Bible college, and having a man come around saying, listen, the, the former Soviet Union is open. The gospel can get back in there. Seems like communism, socialism always kills uh, Jesus, always ch- seeks to snuff it out. But it had fallen, and so it was open once again. And so he was calling people to come, share the gospel. And so this commission team um, was sent to Stavropol. They didn't know about the history of the city. 
when they went. But the team had difficulty getting Bibles shipped from Moscow. And so someone mentioned that they knew of this warehouse that existed outside of town where these Bibles that had been taken by Stalin had been stored since his time. Those Bibles had not been destroyed. The team prayed together. One member had the courage to go to the warehouse and ask the officials if the Bibles could be removed and redistributed again to the people of Stavropol. The answer was yes. And so the next day, the commissioners returned. They brought some Russian young people with them to help with this job. And so they got to the warehouse. They began to load the Bible. One of the Russians who was there, one of the helpers was a young man. He was a skeptical, hostile, agnostic university student who came only for the day's wages. He needed some extra cash. As they loaded the Bibles, one man noticed that the student had disappeared. Finally, they found him in the corner of the warehouse, weeping. He had slipped away, hoping to quietly take a Bible for himself. What he found pierced him deeply. The inside, uh, inside the, the front page of the Bible that he had picked up had the handwritten signature of his own grandmother. It was her personal Bible. Out of the thousands of Bibles still left in that warehouse, he stole the one that belonged to his grandmother, a woman persecuted for her faith all her life. No wonder he wept. God is real. His grandmother had prayed for him and her city, and his discovery of the Bible was only a glimpse into the beginning of his walk with Jesus. Listen, uh, they can run. Can't hide. God pursues. This woman had passed on. Last thing I want to share with you that is a truth that I've come to believe just walking with Jesus and serving as a pastor and seeing uh, experiences, uh, people in my own life and in the lives of others. I really believe this is true. I want to give this to you as the last thing. It is not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Do not give up hope. Do not give up hope. The, story, the father in our story was watching for his son to return. That, mean that, he, that means that he never lost hope. Luke 15, verse 20, it says this, so he returned, that's the son, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Listen, after watching um, so many people, my family, siblings, walk away, I've, I've watched so many people over the years, and, I, and as I live, the longer I live, more and more and more of them come back. I've, I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, uh, they're, <laughs> they're not going to get away. Like, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. Because I know this, God is relentless in his pursuit. He never gives up. There was a rebellious teenage daughter of a woman. Uh, she was breaking her heart. Uh, their struggle reached a zenith when the daughter was arrested for drunk driving. She was arrested and impounded, and the mother paid her bail, bailed her out, but they didn't speak until the next day. And when they did, the mother came up to the daughter and gave her a little package. The daughter was like uh, indignant. What's this? Uh, she grabbed the package, opened it kind of roughly, kind of disgusted. What she found in there um, disgusted her more. She said, what is this for? Um, it was a little rock in the box. And the mother said, read the card. The daughter read the card and she broke down weeping and embraced her mom. The note said this, this rock took 6,000 years um, to, or excuse me, this rock is more than 6,000 years old. And that's long, how long it's going to take before I'll give up on you. My grandfather lost his wife at about age 30. He was left with three daughters. 
He uh, buried himself in a bottle. He read through the, bottle, uh, the Bible a number of times. He couldn't find God there. Got stuck in the grieving process. When he was in his 70s, I used to preach the gospel to him. My mom says when I was five years old, I'd say, Grandpa, if you don't trust in Jesus, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Okay? I know. It was just kind of blunt, but that's what little kids do, right? Say it like it is. Okay, so I did, man. We, 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 we lived around him for a while. We, we're constantly trying to reach him. Nothing. He gets to over 70 years old. And I remember seeing him one day, and it was as though you had seen a dead man walking come alive. His face, his countenance was different. He'd come to peace with God. He put his faith in Jesus. It changed him completely. Listen, that's a long haul. My mom prayed for decades for my grandpa. Listen, don't give up. God loves your prodigal more than you do. Pray for brokenness in them. Keep planting seeds of Jesus. They, can, they cannot hide from God. Remember that. And, and they will come to God. It's just a matter of time. Remember these things. Keep working and trusting God while waiting for breakthrough. God is at work pursuing them. He never gives up and he doesn't lose. God, thank you so much for your pursuit of us. Thank you for your pursuit of those that we love and care for. God, I pray that you would continue to give us strength, give us faith, help us to grow in our confidence of pursuing those that we love that we know need to find you. God, help us to have wisdom as we do it. Help us to, uh, to um, project your love for them. God, help us to keep planting seeds and to keep trusting and keep believing and keep hoping and knowing that it's just a matter of time. God, I pray for each prodigal, each one in this room, for those of us that have someone in our lives that we love, that we want to come back to Jesus, we want them to find you. God, I pray for them right now. I pray that you would pierce through the walls, the pain, the hurt. Whatever it is, Father, I pray that you would reach in and touch their heart. And God, help us to have the courage to continue to walk by their side. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.